Good morning and welcome. I'm so thankful that you're here with us today. My name is Craig Thompson. I'm the senior pastor. It is our privilege to have you with us this morning as we've gathered together to worship. I know there's some of you that are watching online today, a lot of sickness running through our church family and others. So thank you so much for being with us. Uh, maybe you'll even watch this on a recorded video at some point later in the week or uh, who knows, maybe a few months from today. I just want you to know that however, whenever it is that you're joining with us, I'm so glad that you're with us today. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. We're just going to read three verses together. I have so enjoyed our time through the book of Acts. We will be in the book of Acts for just a couple of more weeks. On November the 27th, we will actually begin uh, a Christmas or Advent series. Uh, by now, maybe you've seen already, we've, we've published, I've written a, an Advent guide, and we've gotten that published just in the last couple of weeks. You guys will all receive a copy of that in a few weeks during worship service. Uh, we're going to have an outreach. We're going to try and pass out a couple hundred of those in our community as we knock on some doors and invite people to come and worship with us through the holiday season. And what we're going to do is I'll be preaching through that. You're going to take that Advent guide home. And what we hope that you'll do is be able to take those devotions and lead your family and family devotions around your kitchen table or, or around your den, however it might work for you as you gather your family together and focus on Jesus this Christmas season. So we'll be in the book of Acts for a couple of more weeks and then we're going to turn our attention toward Christmas and we're going to try and make sure that we're getting our attention during the Christmas season on Jesus Christ. Now, in my home, you should know that Christmas has already begun, but for some of you, you're slow and you'll get around, but we welcome you when you finally make it. All right, Acts chapter 13, stand with me in honor of God's word. We're going to read these three verses. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you would show us just exactly how it is that you might call ordinary people to do ordinary things for you. And through those ordinary means, Lord God, to make an extraordinary impact on the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Use us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. One of the most favorite comments that I receive as a pastor is this one. Well, you don't look like a pastor. I, I don't fully know what that means. I'm never sure if I should take it as a compliment or an insult. I, I generally take it as a compliment. I, I like to think that what somebody's saying is I look better than most of the pastors they know. If that's not the case, please don't correct me. I, I just like to hold on to that as a fantasy if that's what it is. But but for whatever reason, throughout the years, on multiple occasions, people have looked at me and said, well, you don't look like a pastor. I generally respond with, well, what does a pastor look like? What should a pastor look like? And the response usually like, is very simple. It's, well, not like you. And I go, oh, okay, well, that's helpful. Maybe some of you have had different experiences. Every once in a while, I'll run into one of y'all at perhaps Lowe's or something on a Saturday and um, I show up, I've been working in the yard or whatever. And so I, I love this other comment. Well, I wouldn't expect to see you here. I say, well, where do you buy your air conditioner filters? You know, I mean, believe it or not, I, as a pastor, as your pastor, I, I try my best to be faithful to the word and faithful to the Lord and faithful to you all to give you all that I can as, as do all of our pastoral staff, these guys work hard for you, but I, I'm going to tell you a secret. 
We're pretty ordinary people. You know, there's a broken window at my house that needs to be repaired. I, I still have to replace the filters in our HVAC unit. Occasionally, we have car trouble, right? All of these things that happen to y'all happen to us. Our children grow and we have to deal with all of those things. Believe it or not, being a pastor is relatively ordinary in so many things. But do you know who else is pretty ordinary? Missionaries are ordinary. You ever come across and thought, well, that person's a missionary. Their life must be just above the fray. You know, one of my closest friends is a missionary in Latvia. He's one of y'all's friends too, Luke and Patty Talbert, who was called out of this church a number of years ago. And I just love talking to Luke. We, we communicate with them in a group text, Angela and I and Luke and Patty on a regular basis. And what we discover is that we all are having all the kind, same kind of problems, right? We might be separated by an ocean and a continent, but in the middle of all of that, we still find ourselves that these missionaries have the same struggles that we have. They have the same struggles that you have. See, pastors and missionaries, those who are doing work for the Lord Jesus Christ, they're ordinary people who have just given themselves over to an extraordinary God to accomplish some pretty amazing things in pretty ordinary ways most of the time. What if missionaries and pastors aren't quite as extraordinary as you think they might be? See, some of you have never surrendered yourself fully to what it is the Lord may call you to because somewhere in your mind you believe there's this extraordinary thing that makes up a pastor or a missionary or somebody who would do great work for the Lord. But what if... God takes really ordinary people like you and like me and sometimes equips them for something that is bigger than themselves. What if the only thing standing between you and a mission opportunity is the willingness to say yes? This morning I ask you, is God calling you? I want you to wrestle with that question this morning. Most of you, when I say that, are ready to tune this sermon out already, aren't you? Oh, he wouldn't ever call me. I'd like to let's bring Adam up on stage. That'd be great. Tell us about when he called you. I'm kidding. We won't do that to you. We won't put you like that. You know, we can bring Kevin up. We can tell me about that. You know, we can do these things. Buster, who was on up in life when the Lord called him, and he just said yes. These are, these are guys who have just said yes to the Lord. I'm going to tell you a little bit of my story in just a few minutes. But some of you are going, there's no way. Let me encourage you this morning to put that yes on the table. Lay it up there. I love the way that one pastor friend of mine many years ago, a mentor of mine, said, he said, Craig, when I gave my life to the Lord and surrendered to ministry, I signed a blank check and I laid it on God's table and I said, Lord, you fill this out how, will you, how you will and cash it in my life. Are you willing this morning to sign your yes and wait for the Lord to fill in the subject line? Just put that on the table for me this morning. Let me make my pitch from the Word of God. And let's see if perhaps there's something more the Lord may have called you to in your life. The first thing I want you to see from Acts chapter 13 is this. God calls ordinary believers. God calls ordinary believers. Now, right here in Acts chapter 13, we just did these three verses. And what the Lord is doing is He's calling and setting apart a couple of men, Saul and Barnabas, for missions. Now, y'all are all going, well, they weren't just ordinary. These were the greatest missionaries the world's ever known. What were they before they were called? Not missionaries. You understand? They weren't planting churches. They weren't making a huge difference in the world beyond their just local church. So the Bible's clear. It says there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, um, Simeon, Lucius, Menean, 
Um, and then uh, that, that, that's it. We don't even list Saul right here, right? He's not even there. We got all these people. They were also, oh, sorry, and Saul. There it was. I missed it in verse 1. All these people that are teachers, but where are they teachers? They're teachers over the broad church making an impact across the globe, right? No, that's not what it says at all. No, it says that in the church at Antioch, folks, you might think that a pastor is something special. I don't know. You might think that missionaries are something special or that church planters have to have this special calling upon them from the Lord, this special anointing from birth that sets them apart. Right here, the way that these men are described is just in a group. We don't even have like, there at Antioch, there was Saul and everyone else. You know, it's not like at Antioch you had King Saul among the church people and then all the other people that fall out under him. Saul's just listening amongst the group. Saul, Paul, I'm going to mess that up through this sermon. It's the same guy, all right? So when I do, don't judge me, okay? The only people who ever judge me are related to me, my family members. The rest of y'all are very kind and generous. But just know that they weren't born with this stamp that the world could see. They were just among the leaders in a local church. And there in that leadership, Saul and Barnabas were called. Watch this. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. This is why you can write your yes and wait for the Lord to fill in the subject line. You say, well, Craig, there's no way that I could go and pastor a church. I don't know how to do it. I'm not good at those things. Perhaps you might be like Moses who said, don't call me, Lord, I can't speak plainly. What if you just wrote your yes and you said, Lord, I don't know enough to do it, but Lord God, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to expect you to fill in the subject line, and then I'm going to count on you, Lord God, to give me the training I need to get me to the place where you would have me to be. That, Lord God, you would equip me for the calling that you've placed on my life. Some of you are so convinced you couldn't be a missionary or a pastor because you don't know enough or you haven't had enough experience. But God works through plain, ordinary people. Now, when I call you plain and ordinary, I don't mean that as an insult at all. We live in a world that's, that's, that's overwhelmed by celebrity and social media and, oh, you called me plain. What I'm saying is that we're all just pretty well plain, right? Very few of us stand out. And generally, if we do, it's not for a good reason. You know what I mean? But the Lord takes plain, ordinary people and he equips them for extraordinary purposes, for his purposes in the world. God called me to ministry as a young man. I was 17 years old when the Lord called me to ministry. It was very clear, without a shadow of a doubt. I knew, and I still know today, here I stand before you at 41 years old, and I still look back at that night in October of well, 1998 and know that that was the night, the moment that the Lord Jesus Christ called me into his service. I knew that. I said no. I said, I'm not going to do that. No way. And I kept on saying no for about a year over and over and over again. But I know without a shadow of a doubt, that's why I love these teenagers so much. Because I know the calling that God can put on a 17-year-old's life that can carry him at least until 41. But God, I want to tell you something. Some of y'all might think I'm a decent pastor. Some of y'all might think I'm a decent preacher. Some of you might even think I'm a decent husband and father. Do you know what I was at 17? An ignorant 17-year-old kid. I don't mean that ugly. I was just 17. I hadn't experienced much of the world. This is how I was studying my Bible so that I could find out exactly what God would want of me. All right, Lord, if you want me to do something, show me. Bam! Oh, that's what I should do. That's what I knew at 17, right? By the way, if that's the way you're studying your Bible, I love you and I'm so glad that you're in God's Word, but it's wrong. 
Okay? Let us help you get plugged into a life group. Okay? If you're not sure how, call me. Call the church. Okay? You can talk to me. You can talk to somebody. Go see Pastor Kevin when we finish. He's our pastor of discipleship, and he would love to show you how to study God's Word. Okay? We want to get you in. So we want to celebrate that you're in it, but we want to help you get past that moment. But at 17, that's all I had. That's it. People weren't calling me to preach a whole lot. They called me once to preach. They didn't call me to come back. You know, that's what 17 was like for me. This is what I want you to understand. Don't laugh. That's not that funny. I was young. I needed grace. But y'all, this is what it looks like. The Lord doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. He takes you when you've got just nothing, and he shapes and molds you into something that's usable in his service. It's an incredible act of his grace and mercy that he's willing to do that. Look, a willing heart creates a usable ministry. Do you want to know how it is that you can be usable in the Lord's service? Say yes and then just keep saying yes. Just surrender yourself to the Lord. Lord, what would you have me to do? God, where would you have me to go? Lord, how would you have me to serve? The secret sauce to service for the Lord is faithfulness it's not something crazy right it's 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 not insane i had a buddy that gave me some barbecue sauce the other day that he had made and i drank it with a straw i mean it was i I didn't really but i wanted to okay it was only because i have a just a an ounce of self-respect that i literally wasn't drinking it out it was excellent you know what i mean and i texted him i said hey friend, dear one, you know, I tried to use that pastor speak, you know, dear brother, um, may I please have the recipe for this? And he was very kind and generous. And he said, no, um, <laughs> he said, I, I, he said, I, 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 I will get you any you want, but I just don't share that recipe. It's, it's just mine. It's, it's, it's something that we keep here in our family. Okay. It, listen, when it comes to serving the Lord, there's not a secret recipe. There's not. Do you know at least how they used to keep the secret for the recipe, for the colonel's famous recipe for his fried chicken, for Kentucky Fried Chicken? Do y'all know this? They used to keep the recipe separated on written pieces of paper and locked up in separate safes. True story. So that no one had access. Is it 13 ingredients? I think no one had access For a long time to all 13 ingredients. Nobody knew what all of it was. And so there was somebody that did this part. And somebody did this part. And somebody did this part. There's no secret when it comes to serving the Lord. If you'll just surrender your heart to him. I'm going to tell you something. He can take something with that. Or something. And make something incredible out of you with it. Just say yes. Surrender to the Lord. If you're willing to serve the Lord, the Lord can use you. But if you are proud, you won't be used by the Lord. What was it that set Saul and Barnabas apart? When God said go, they said yes. And then they kept saying yes. And when the Lord urged Saul to go to terrible places, he just kept saying yes. And when Saul's life was in danger, he just kept saying yes. Over and over he said yes. And the more that he said yes, the more impact and influence he had. But he didn't start out that way. He was just one among many as a leader in the church at Antioch. Is God calling you? God calls ordinary believers. I don't want you to forget that. God can call you. God can use you.
And the fact that you're not believing me right now just tells me that you're not paying close enough attention. Right? you got all the reasons why God couldn't use you and here I am to tell you today that the only reason it matters is that the Lord Jesus Christ is enough. See, when you tell me that God can't use you, what you're actually saying is that God can't use me. You're not saying I can't be used. You're saying God can't. I'm here to tell you there is no can't in God's vocabulary. He can and he will if you will just say yes. God calls ordinary believers. The second thing I want to see this morning is that God trains missionaries in his church. Look, the Bible says that there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, and so on and so forth. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. How did God train Barnabas and Saul for the mission that he had for them? In the local church. Saul and Barnabas were leaders in the local church. Now, they weren't missionaries. We had somebody that left our church some years ago. And uh, they, 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 they had several unkind things to say. But one of the things was, you're not doing enough to train us for missions. I said, what would it look like to train you for missions? What would that mean? See, here's the reality. Healthy churches are incubators for pastors and missionaries. See, if you want to be trained for service in God's church, you've got to get plugged into a healthy church. That's where the Lord is training up the people that he's going to send out. Saul and Barnabas were pastors and teachers in their local church. And it was through that process of preaching and teaching and discipling that God was preparing them to do the exact same thing in other places. Folks, you know one of the wonderful things about being a part of a healthy church and getting to pastor a healthy church is getting to preach to a healthy church. You guys are fun to preach to. It's great. Y'all smile at me most of the time. Y'all give me little head nods. Every once in a while somebody gives me an amen. That's great. Don't do it too often. I'll preach for two hours. Um, I'm just telling you, like, it's bad. Y'all give me a little bit of encouragement. I'll just keep on going. Y'all take notes. You respond. I was sitting down with one of our uh, teenagers this week who gave me, reminded me what I said in a sermon two weeks ago, and I said, you know what, we're winning when I've got a teenage girl that can remind me what happened in a sermon two weeks ago. Y'all, this is pretty exciting stuff. This is great. It's fun. And when you respond, well, you train somebody. You, you actually have the opportunity to make me a better preacher. You do. When you respond, well, I'm encouraged to do more. Right? These other guys get up and they preach occasionally and they want to keep doing it more because you guys are fun to preach to. It's great. Y'all respond. You listen. Uh, you, you take the notes. All those things happen. So, so as the church at Antioch is growing and getting healthy, there's joy, there's vibrance, there's excitement. Saul and Barnabas are actually being trained even by the church as they're teaching and leading. You understand the experience that they have. This is why we've got to constantly make sure that we're giving other people opportunities. We're, we're trying to do a better job about that. We've got to find ways for others to have opportunities so we can raise people up. This is why we want to establish relationships with other churches. Part of it so we can take some of our really healthy folks and let them go and do some teaching in other places. We want to be doing some of those things. Healthy churches are incubators for pastors and for missionaries. Now, folks like to look down on the church a lot of times. It's kind of popular in the world today to, to deconstruct the church and the church experience. And people love to criticize the church. Um, listen to me. This is not kind, but it's true. It is kind, but it's not sweet. You are not ready to serve in God's kingdom until you are serving regularly in the local church. 
You are not ready to serve in God's kingdom until you are serving regularly in a local church. There's a reason why people join our church and they are told that you're going to sit on the shelf for six months before we ask you to do anything. It doesn't have anything to do with what you... You might be the greatest musician that's ever walked in the, the doors of this church. Kevin might be jonesing for the opportunity to get you on stage. And yet, he's going to say, and I'm going to say, and everybody else is going to say, we're going to give you six months. Six months to grow here, to be discipled here. Six months to surrender and submit to the authority of a local church. I've got people who walk in here regularly and tell me they want to lead a life group or lead ministry. And here's what I tell them. The first step in your missionary journey should be submission to a local church. The first step in your missionary journey should be submission to a local church. I've known students in seminary and Bible college who are not plugged into a local church. Folks, this is sinful. This is sinful and it's dangerous. The Bible says that we are not to avoid, to neglect gathering together with the saints. We are to be together as one. I occasionally have the opportunity to counsel someone who's not involved in a church, but who has this desire to pastor or even to plan a church so they can find a healthy one. Do you, do you grab the, the pride and the hubris right there? The idea that the only way I could find a healthy church is if I'm in charge or I have leadership positions or I have leadership responsibilities? You know, the greatest training for us in ministry is to regularly submit and surrender to the authority of a local church. Y'all, this is true for me. This is true for me. There are times when there are things that I would like for us to do here. And I take those ideas to our pastoral staff or even to our deacon body. And I say, hey guys, I was thinking about this. What do y'all think? And I get, Ugh. I'm like, no, 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 this is a really good idea. And I get, Ugh. I'm like, y'all, then I, I'm the pastor here. And they go, yeah, still a bad idea, right? Still doesn't work. You know, one of the best things that I can do occasionally as your pastor is to say no to my own good ideas and to say yes to those who are telling me that I'm going in the wrong direction. Occasionally, that's an important thing for me to do. Can I tell you a secret? That's hard. That's not easy. It's not easy to walk out of a meeting when you didn't get your way and to find a way to be happy about it and to continue moving forward. Some of you don't always love the things or the way that we do things around here. I get it. I don't always love the way we do some things around here because sometimes I find myself submitting to the authority of others and of the church. We are congregational. That means that I believe in the priesthood of all believers and I believe that the Lord might actually work and speak and lead through somebody other than me. And He will do it through somebody other than you. This is part of why if you want to serve God's kingdom more broadly than you are right now, the first step for you is to submit and surrender to the authority of a local church. And then once you've done that, be willing to do the small things. Are you willing to do the small things in your church? If you're not willing to sweep a floor in your church, you're not ready to stand up here and preach the word of God in this church. Look. Big things are not always the best things. Big things are not always the best things. 
Often the largest impact you can make in God's kingdom is in a small place. I love to tell the stories, the victory stories I get sometimes weekly or monthly. I love it when we preach a good sermon and big things happen on a Sunday morning. Okay? I love it. And nothing would thrill me more than to have gathered all 360 or 70 of you here today. And for me to give the invitation in just a few minutes and some of you come forward and say, I'm saying yes right now. I don't know what the next step is, but I'm telling the Lord yes. Nothing would give me greater joy, but I want you to know this. Most of the victories that I share with our staff or perhaps I even share with our Wednesday night crowd a little bit, I go home and I share with Angela. Do you know where most of them happen? They happen one-on-one. They happen in very small groups. They happen in my office or they happen across a lunch table. Those are the stories that I'm telling most of the time. Some of y'all want to do big things for Jesus. And I'm here to tell you that often the greatest impact you'll have for the Lord Jesus Christ is in the small things. It's in the hallways. It's in the ordinary things of your very ordinary lives. It's going to be a text conversation that you have with somebody that actually makes a difference and makes an impact. It's going to be a passing comment that you have with somebody. It's going to be the way that you carry yourself in a tense situation. Do you want to serve Christ? Start by making an impact on one life. One life. Don't be weird about it. Okay? Don't sit around this morning and go, oh, that's the one I want. Okay? No. If you don't know them, they probably don't want you. Please don't walk out of here this morning. I don't need, listen to me. I don't need a 65-year-old walking up to one of my 16-year-olds and going, today's the day that I'm going to make an impact on your life. Okay? Those 16-year-olds are going to come running to me, and we're going to have to have an awkward conversation. You understand? Don't do that. Don't go to a 30-year-old either. Okay? Start with somebody you know. Call them. Say, let's go to lunch. Start with something small. Send somebody a card in the mail. Call them on the phone and say, I was praying for you today. Do that. Do you, do you know... The thing that I do that has consistently the most impact across our church body is to sign my name on birthday and anniversary cards every week. Every week I do that. In case you didn't know that, I don't stamp those. Nobody does those. I sign them and I pray over them. I get more comments from those than I do from my sermons. It hurts my feelings. But listen to me. Some of y'all aren't making an impact because you won't sign a birthday card, right? I have somebody, people occasionally go, you could do that more efficiently. I say, I probably could. But y'all, I'm making an impact on people and I'm praying over you. I'm praying over y'all by name when I do that. Man, there's no greater joy for me. And it's amazing how the Lord works. It's amazing how, how the Lord can bring to mind just in that moment something specific that I know is going on in your life and I can pray for that situation. I can get those anniversary cards. I can celebrate those long anniversaries occasionally. And it's just a small thing. Make a small impact on somebody's life. Start by discipling one person. Start by serving in our nursery. For goodness sakes, you're going, I want to make a difference. Sign up for children's worship. He's not in here, so I'll make fun of him. Last night... My four, fifth, what is he? 15, the big one with the broke hand. He said, do you know what tomorrow is? I said, yes, son, it's Sunday. Are you looking forward to my sermon? He said, nope, I'm going in the back to work with the children tomorrow. 
you got to be kidding me, right? Wouldn't you be excited to be with me? He said, I really get to hear you all the time. I'm excited to go work with the kids. Some of y'all want, you tell me you want to make a difference, but you won't sign up to rock a baby in the nursery. Come on. Come on. Watch. You go, it doesn't matter. You ready? We have, we have a, a, a family that's, that's been visiting our church uh, for a little while. They had visited several other churches. And they're here. They're not here today, but they're in this church. Or they might be here today. I don't know, where, I don't know who's here. There's so many of y'all. They're, but they're, they're here in part because they visited a church. They took a kid to Sunday school class. And when they got there, there was nobody to teach Sunday school. And this was what the wife said to me. How can you tell me you're a missional church if you don't have anybody to teach the children? I said, wow. Well, pastor, I I couldn't serve in the children's ministry. I'm far too important. Then you are far too unimportant to serve anywhere else. You're too proud. Big things are not always the best things. Start by discipling one person. Start by serving in our children's ministry. Right? Start by serving as a greeter. If you want to know how to do those things, send us an email. Matter of fact, we'll send an email tomorrow recruiting all y'all to do all these things. Y'all don't forget to do that. (laughs) Start by discipling your own kids, parents. Parents, you want to make an impact? Start by making sure that you're here on a consistent basis. And by consistent, I mean every Sunday. Like, I mean, I just need to be honest. We beat around the bush. You just need to be here. Well, pastor, we got all these other things. You do. That's exactly right. Let me show you what you're doing. You're saying to your kids, all these other things matter more than gathering with your church body. Okay? I'm not telling you that some things won't happen. I'm just telling you that if your consistent pattern is every other Sunday you're taken away by something else, then what you're saying to your children is that this thing is competing and is on on par with the things that the Lord has called us in his local church. I'm sorry if that's a harsh reality. And if you'd like to talk with me about it further, I'm happy to hear it. Give me a call. I'm not mad at you. I'm concerned for your children. And for goodness sakes, I I, I don't want you in my office when they're 16, 17, 18, or 20 years old and going, Pastor, I don't know why they're not plugged into local church. I'm going to have to say, I love you, but I know why. Because for the first 18 years of their life, or for the six or seven or eight years from you know 8 to 16 you told them that the church was optional as long as it didn't compete with dance or cheer or ball or voice or whatever it might be well pastor you don't understand I understand completely it's a hard decision but as parents at some point we have to make a decision about what matters the most start right there start by reading your Bible diligently you want to make a big difference for Christ But his desire for you might be different. His desire for you might not be to stand up in front of 10,000 people. His desire for you might be to make lots of little impacts in little corners. I grew up in a church that didn't make lots of impact, in all honesty. It was not a large place. There was this one lady. Her name name was Miss Ruth. You know what she did? She prayed consistently and repeatedly. You could walk up to her on a Sunday morning and she'd look at you as I prayed for you by name this week. I had a elementary school Sunday school teacher. His name was Randy Wilson. And uh, 
Um, Randy left our church when I was a young, or my home church when I was a young adult, but Randy knew that I'd been called to ministry. He died a few years ago, but every once in a while I would, I would run into him somewhere or he would see my parents. You know what they, he told them every single time? Will you let Craig know I pray for him every single day? I don't know what Randy Wilson's impact was beyond that, but I know that that man was making an impact on y'all because he was praying for me. Isn't that something? Right? None of y'all know him. Y'all never met him. But he was making an impact on y'all's life because he was willing to do the small things. You want to make a big difference for Christ, be more concerned being faithful to Jesus and his church, and then trust him to put you where he would have you. Does that mean you have to stay here? Maybe. You know what? God's desire for you might be right here at Malvern Hill. For some of you, he might be raising you up to get out of here and make a difference somewhere else. And when that happens, what we want to do is celebrate that call in your life and send you out as the church in Antioch did. We need to normalize it being okay with us kicking our people out of here to do something incredible make a difference with the kingdom. You understand? We need to normalize sending people away from this place to make a difference somewhere else. That's what the church in Antioch did. So is God calling you? God calls ordinary believers. God trains missionaries in his church. Third this morning, God uses ordinary means to make his purposes known. The Bible says, as they were worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've called them. These are normal church practices, normal Christian practices. Saul and Barnabas set off on a cross-country journey to find Jesus. You understand? They didn't go and fast in the desert or, or sweat it out in some sweat lodge somewhere. The Lord put his call on their life right in the middle of them doing the ordinary, normal things that Christians are supposed to do. God tends to do most of his work in our lives in the ordinary things. Listen, quiet, lonely places are great to get focus with the Lord. To, to, to focus and to grow in intimacy. For me, it's Getting alone and away sometimes for a day or two, it's hard. But when I can get away for a day or two or three, what I'm able to do is, is really focus on studies and, and, and get a lot of that done. Just commune with the Lord, grow in intimacy with the Lord. But God tends to do most of his work in our lives in the ordinary things. Listen, you need to stop look, looking for burning bushes and pursue a heart on fire. Stop looking. Yeah, you say, well, I, if the Lord would appear to me the way he appeared to Moses. Moses wasn't looking for a burning bush, y'all. He was tending his father's, father-in-law's sheep. That's what he was doing. Moses was at work when the Lord got his attention with a burning bush. Y'all are busy looking for something extraordinary, but God's working the ordinary things. Is it possible that you've been so busy stargazing, looking for something up there, that God just sent what he wanted you to know right past you? What if you missed it that way? What if it ran right behind you and you had absolutely no idea? The danger is when you're looking for the extraordinary, you're often unwilling to faithfully pursue the ordinary. The ordinary becomes below us. Oh, I'm above that. I don't know if I need to remind you that Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Washed their feet. And then watch, listen, observe. When he sent his disciples out to do the ministry that he had for them to do, and they messed it up, Jesus still waded down into the mess, and they said, he said, oh, well, 
Y'all should have been able to cast this one out, but I'll handle this for you. It's amazing. The Lord just keeps coming back and doing the things that others were supposed to be handling, and he just owns it over and over and over again. He reprimands Martha for not worshiping as Mary did, but do you know what Jesus did? He looked a whole lot like Martha when they gathered for the Last Supper. Has that ever occurred to you? There's place in God's work for Mary and for Martha-type work. It all matters. I know I can overdo my, my gym illustrations, okay? i got to be careful, but I, I do enjoy working out, and as a result of that, they, they, these stories really work well for me. Um, uh, I, I, I like to be strong. I like to pick up heavy things. And we get through all the holidays. Remember, it's already Christmas for me in my head. Y'all should just really get on board. Uh, nobody's going to talk to me much about that right now, but somewhere around about December the 28th to January the 4th, I'm going to have a handful of people that are going to talk to me about what they need to do in the gym. That's going to come up. It's just going to happen. And I'll have those conversations. Everybody, everybody wants to know how, how you can get shape, how you can get strong. Everybody wants a quick scheme. Tell me what to do. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you. Write this down. Getting physically strong is boring. It's monotonous. You do the same things over and over and over again for months and years. Then after a little while, you get a little stronger each month or each year. And then once or twice a year, you hit a new PR and it's exciting. See, people think that, well, it'd be exciting every time. Listen, going to the gym on a regular basis and trying to be strong, you know what I do? I do the same things over and over and over again. And sometimes I look at the workout and I go, I don't want to do that. And then I go and I do the same things over and over and over again. When my kids work out with me, they get frustrated because we do the same things over and over and over again. It's boring. It's monotonous. I try to mix it up a little bit, but you know what? Two weeks of mixing it up, and then we're right back to boring and monotonous because the things that work are the things that you do over and over and over again. And when you stack them on top of each other, all of a sudden, next thing you know, you look around one day, and you got a little strong. You don't know how it happened because you did the boring things over and over. You just show up. You pack your lunch. You go to work. You show up. You do the things you're supposed to do, and you get results. Serving the Lord is the same thing. There's a lot of boring monotony punctuated by the big things. But if you're looking for the big things, you'll miss them. They come in the middle of the ordinary things. If some of you aren't strong and you want to know how to get strong and you say, Craig, can I work out with you? I'm going to tell you no. Um, It's nothing personal. I love y'all, but just probably going to say no. Um, Some of you I might say yes to occasionally. But I, I take it to work out, all kidding aside. And you say, I want to be strong. And I say, well, what, what is strong? Well, I would like to, I don't know, I want to bench press 300 pounds today. And I want to do it today because I want to be strong right now. And I say, I don't think that's a good idea. And they say, I want to do it right now. And so we'll put 300 pounds on the bar and you'll lay down. You know what I'll do? I'll pick it back up off of you when you can't get it up. You say, but I want to do the big thing. And I'm going to tell you, you haven't done the little things to get you ready for the big thing. See, y'all wondered where in the world we were going with this. And now it's clicking, isn't it? You want to do the big things for Jesus. You want to walk in with that, that, that big thing and you haven't done the small things. You're not ready. You've not been willing to do the monotonous things, the boring things. That's right. I'm going to say it. There are times when you get up and you come to worship and you don't do it because you feel like it or you're excited about it. You do it because it's the thing you're supposed to do. Let me just tell you that. I hope that nine times out of ten you're excited to gather with your church body for worship. Family, parents, you want me to tell you how you show your kids that it matters? 
When you show up and you don't want to be here, that's how they know it matters. That's how. When you just drag yourself there, when y'all argue the whole way and you get out and you try to put your happy face on, and they say, why in the world are we doing this? And you say, because Jesus matters more than my feelings and my emotions today. And I don't like you and I don't like me and I don't want to be here. But this is where we're supposed to be. Sometimes reading your Bible is just that. It's monotonous. You're going to get up. You're going to get into it. You're going to say, Lord, I don't really want to do this. But you're still there and you're doing it. And over time, what the Lord's doing is he's using those small things to do big things in your life. To prepare you for something else. You're trying to figure out how you're going to find God's calling. And you're running out into the desert looking for a burning bush. And I'm here to tell you this morning that you're going to find God's calling by showing up to church. When the doors are open. You're going to find God's calling by committing to a life group. You're going to find God's calling by reading your Bible in prayer and in fasting. You're going to find His calling in your life as you share the gospel. And watch, you're going to find His calling as you go to work. Because... Our work should be worship as we work unto the Lord. Folks, it isn't rocket science. It's constant, repeated surrender to the ordinary things of God in your life. Why am I using that word surrender? Because it's a regular reminder that it ain't about me. And it's not about you. It's about Him. And that's why we're willing to be a little bit bored or uncomfortable occasionally. Because it's not about me. I feel like we've been kind of depressing this morning. But I don't want us to end that way because my question is, is God calling you? Is he? You say, Craig, I don't even know what that means. Did I mention that I was 17 and I said yes? I don't know what y'all knew at 17, but I didn't know very much. I certainly had no real clue what a pastor does. But I said yes. And through that yes, and all the yeses that followed, the Lord's brought me to this place. So this morning, will you say yes? Yes to the ordinary. Yes to the monotonous. Yes to the hard. Yes to just showing up when you don't want to show up. Parents, will, say, will you say yes to just dragging your kids here when they don't want to be here? I'm not going to jump up and down, but I really want to. Will you say yes to coming with them and not just dropping them off at the front door? Will you say yes? If you will sign your name with your yes and allow the Lord to fill in the subject line on that agreement. There is no limit to the impact you can make for God's kingdom. Why aren't you responding? Some of you have heard that call already. Some of you are having it twisted into your heart right now. What's holding you back? Are you waiting for God's direction? Are you waiting for him to really convince you? You think it could be, but you're not sure what the next step is. Let me encourage you. Say yes. 
and then wait patiently. How you do that? You don't just sit around. You be busy until he comes because he calls ordinary people just like you. And he uses the church to prepare them. You say, Craig, I don't have time to go and get all the preparation. I'm here to tell you this is what church does. Use ordinary means to make his purposes known. So until you know exactly what God has called you to, let me encourage you. Get to the church. Commit to the church. Get involved. Make a difference in someone's life. It may be that God shows you his, or that God shows his will for your life while you are busy investing in someone else. It's wonderful for me when I prepare a sermon in the middle of that sermon the Lord speaks to me. It's great. Like, this is the great thing about preaching is that the Lord preaches it to me before I get to preach it to y'all. So if, if y'all get beat up in a sermon on Sunday morning just know it was bad for me. For, for a week or two prior, you know, I, I, it, 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 it's been working on me before I get there. But one of the other things that I get to do occasionally is to see the Lord work in my life as I'm investing in somebody else's life. For the, for the Lord to teach me something as I'm trying to teach somebody else. You say, Craig, I don't know what the next step is. Okay. Let me tell you what the next step is. See, I don't know the third step, but I know the next step. And some of you don't know the third step because you won't take the second one, okay? See, the, the, the first step is just to acknowledge that the Lord's put a call there. The second step is just to say yes. The Lord said to Isaiah, who will go? Whom shall I go and send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here Am I send me? This morning, the Lord may be calling you to leave this church as a missionary to some foreign land. Will you say yes? There may be some of you here today the Lord's calling a pastor. Will you say yes? But watch. There's probably a whole lot of you that the Lord's calling to be a missionary in the place that you're going to go to work tomorrow. Will you say yes? Some of you that the Lord is calling to invest in your school, will you say yes? Some of you he's calling to one of the hardest ministries in the entire world. He's calling you to be a missionary to your family. To your parents. To your spouse. To your cousins. Will you say yes? There's some of you that are here today and the Lord just is saying, go. And you have no idea what that means yet. How many of you are willing to say, Lord, wherever, whatever, whenever, here I am. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. There's probably some of you in here this morning that would like to respond and to come forward and let me pray over your yes with you. Some of you may want to come up here around this altar and just pray about that yes. Some of you today may need to say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ because he's calling you salvation. Whatever it is that God is doing in your life, as we stand and as we sing,
as we are worshiping, as the early church was. And the Holy Spirit spoke in that church. And he set some apart. And they came forward. And they said yes. As we're worshiping this morning, will you say yes as we sing? Stand with me and let's pray together. Father God in heaven, you are worthy of all of our praise and honor and glory. Thank you that Jesus said yes. And thank you, Lord God, that there have been so many others throughout the history of your church to say yes so that we might get to a place today where we could hear the good news of the gospel. May many more say yes so that the gospel message may be spread. In Jesus' name, amen. Sing with us this morning.